Welcome to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. More criticism for the Ontario government's housing plan. Ontario's strained health care system is getting some help. Changes in store for Burlington's Sound of Music Festival. Some Hamilton high schoolers are raising money for CHML's Christmas Tree of Hope. Local animal shelters are reporting an influx of cats in their care. And find out how Alberta is pushing back against Ottawa. The GMH podcast starts now. This is the Good Morning Hamilton podcast on 900 CHML. Well, some heated moments at Hamilton City Hall yesterday as residents express their anger and their frustration with the Build More Homes Faster Act. The destruction of the Greenbelt, weakening of environmental regulations, downloading of development charge costs, removal or weakening of parkland dedication, letting private developers propose private land for parkland dedication, effectively privatizing public space. All terrible measures lessening the city's ability to have growth pay for growth. That was Carl Andrus of the Hamilton Community Benefits Network slamming Bill 23 at City Hall yesterday. Others following suit as well. Joining us to talk about it is Narendra Nan, the city councillor for Ward three with the city of Hamilton and councillor for Ward 12, Craig Kassar, joining us here on Good Morning Hamilton. Ms. Nan, Mr. Kassar, how are you today? Good morning, doing well. How are you? I'm fantastic. Uh, Narendra, we'll start with you. Um, Not surprisingly, there was a lot of emotion um, at yesterday's meeting. How would you describe what you heard yesterday? I think it was a combination of just sheer disappointment and uh, a desire around the council table to actually fulfill what many of us were campaigning on in the election term, which was to deliver real, true, affordable housing across the city to protect our environment and to be prepared to lead the city towards being a thriving place for future generations to come. And then when we started looking at the details of Bill 23, it is so clearly a purely transactional piece of legislation that is enabling developers to cash in on prime agricultural soil, areas of natural heritage that need to be protected to uphold our local ecosystems, and actually is not going to deliver anything in addition, contrary to what the the claims are purported to be in terms of increasing affordable housing supply. Craig, as part of this legislation as well, um, the province is waiving or completely deleting the development charges aspect of building homes. Uh, Your thoughts on that and how much it could potentially cost our city? It will cost the city. We know that. Uh, Don't know the number, but I think that's an an important point to underscore here is that development charges, as you alluded to, are important to have growth pay for growth. So if there's going to be new development, we need to build new infrastructure, new parkland, new facilities like libraries, community centers. And with that money being reduced, the city then has to take on that burden. And that means increased taxes to everyone who lives in Hamilton and all the businesses. So, you know, this is more than just about farmland. It's more than just about natural areas. You know, even for people who don't have those high on their priority list, it comes down to the money they need to pay on their property taxes every year, and that's going to increase. Our guests on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML, Councillors Narendra Nan and Craig Kassar, as we talk about Bill 23, the Ford government's Build More Homes Faster Act. Uh, Narendra, there was a lot of talk yesterday. There's there's going to be a lot of talk in the next, I would assume, days, weeks, if not months. When it comes to action, what can the city do? You know, that remains to be seen. Unfortunately, at the end of the day, the planning legislations are, you know, uh, legislation of the province and the city is technically a creature of the province and we're bound to follow those regulations. But, you know, 
Rick, I wish that I wish the province had actually thought about this policy suite being something that focused on directly incentivizing developers and homeowners that wanted to deliver truly affordable. And by truly affordable, we mean 30% of somebody's income in terms of housing and true climate responsible housing instead of un- undercutting how cities can pay for our infrastructure, but also more importantly, protect the existing rental housing stock. You know, the the piece in, in this legislation that limits inclusionary zoning, unfortunately, which had previously been limited by the provincial government to only transit-oriented corridors, has now been further reduced to only a 5% cap. And what that means is dedicating 5% of units inside of private development to affordable housing, which is going to be more of a drop of a bucket uh, kind of approach versus what we know to be a more much more sustainable rate, which is somewhere in that 15 to 25 to 30% rate. Uh, it also takes away pre- tenant protections by, uh, you know, will ha- remains to be seen how they're going to be standardizing the language around how municipalities develop our bylaws. But the city of Hamilton was proudly moving forward in developing anti-rent eviction bylaws that would in, ensure tenants were protected when a home was being renovated uh, and give them the right to come back into the home. Those kinds of pieces of really important uh, legislation and, and municipal bylaws that help us protect tenants and renters uh, are now being eroded as a result of this bill. We only got about a minute, and Craig, we'll end off with you here. Earlier on in the show, we had Burlington Mayor Marianne Mead Ward say this to our listeners. We will record on the tax bill mm-hmm. the provincial tax, the provincial housing tax, because it will create a hole in our budget. So on Burlington's tax bill, there's going to be a line item that people will get to say this is the provincial housing tax number. Is Hamilton going to follow suit? To be determined, but many of us campaigned on transparency, and you know, this is an opportunity to be, really be transparent on uh, why we would have to increase taxes. And I know that there's so many parts of the community that are behind or against Bill 23 and supporting the position council is taking. You know, from from labor groups to chamber of commerce, seniors, youth, environmentalists, urbanists, taxpayers in general. So you know, we owe it to them to be transparent and, and help them understand why we would need to be increasing taxes. Greg Kassar, Narendra Dan, appreciate your time today. Good luck with this going forward. Thank you. Thank you. That is Hamilton City Councilors for Ward 3 and Ward 12, respectively, Narendra Dan and Craig Kassar. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. We know that Ontario's healthcare system has been run ragged, not only over the last couple of years, but really in the last number of years. There is burnout among physicians and nurses. There's long waiting lists for patients, cancelled or postponed surgeries or procedures, hospital overcrowding, overcapacity. We know Mac Kids Hospital here in Hamilton dealing with that. Well, there's a new company and a new app that's being launched today that aims to take some of that pressure off Ontario's much maligned healthcare system. George Barakat is the founder and CEO of MedWorks and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. George, good morning. How are you? Good morning, Rich. How are you? I'm good. So this is a big day for MedWorks. This is day one for the company. What is MedWorks all about? Oh, great question. MedWorks, our our actual slogan is uh, at home your way every day. So MedWorks is a healthcare and wellness app that you can download on your phone and have access to healthcare and wellness providers at your fingertips. And when we say at home your way every day, we mean it. That means that you can either schedule any of our providers or wellness providers 
on your phone using our digital tools through telemedicine, telehealth, or choose to have those providers actually come right to your door. This is really a novel concept given the year that we're in. We're rolling back the clock, and we're, we're having house calls again, which is kind of a neat approach because coming out of the pandemic where we're, we, just, uh, we just left, uh, we've learned that digital tools are very important, but more importantly, we can't look at healthcare in the same lens that we have in the past. We really have to provide more options because, as you just alluded to, the healthcare system is strained, and we have to start empowering the users, the patients, to start looking at healthcare a little more holistically and shifting gears from reactive healthcare to preventative wellness. Is the intention of the app to be used during emergency situations, or is this more of a proactive approach in terms of a potential patient? Well, we'd like to think that it's a proactive approach, but um, let's let's presume that there was another another threat that we would have to do homeschooling or a lockdown or whatnot. Uh, we would count on MedWorks, and we should count on MedWorks to get a paramedic to your home so that you can do home assessments or COVID tests or uh, even vaccinations if that's permitted at that time. Uh, but from a preventative standpoint, there's a monster gap, huge gap, between I'm not feeling well to I need to go to my provider. Now, MedWorks can provide you the convenience of booking an appointment and having a provider show up at your doorstep. Now, what does that mean? It means that that whole journey that I just described of I'm not feeling well to I need to get to the hospital or the provider, the onus really needs to be on you, the patient, to look at what options are out there. So, if you were not feeling well and you were to Google a provider, you would get one form of a provider that would come back to you as a search result. On MedWorks, every provider from what you may be looking for or may not even realize that you need could be there. So I'm not feeling well could be, hey, I need a paramedic appointment, but look, there's a dietitian, mental health professional. Oh my God, maybe I should register for some personal training. And there's some tasty food that could be pre-prepared, portion controlled, and sent to me for my week because I don't feel like cooking. More importantly, I'm taking care of a loved one. Why don't I get some remote patient monitoring tools? And, you know, let's let get mom or dad who I'm taking care of uh, feel really good by getting them a manicure or pedicure or a massage. So one-stop so one shop to, to total health care. we we got to run because we only got about a minute, but I want to ask you, is, sure. there, is there a cost to this to have a medical professional show up at your door basically at a moment's notice? Well, the costs are all on the app. Uh, this is out-of-pocket or third-party insurance, and... Uh, most of the ancillary service providers today in Ontario are. So let me actually describe it this way. We're not creating new services. These are actual companies like Paramedox for paramedics, uh, BCL for personal training, uh, 16 ounces for food, Highmark for mental health, which is a, a national behemoth in the mental health uh, vertical. They're all companies that exist today. We're just curating them to the app, to MedWorks, to make and give awareness to everybody that these services are out there. One of the services, believe it or not, that we're loading on next week is mobile dental hygienists from Smiles on Wheels. This company has been around for 10 years, believe it or not. Well, it sounds like a pretty novel idea, and uh, I'm guessing it's going to be very popular amongst uh, many in our population. George, really appreciate your time. Best of luck with this. Well, thank you very much for the opportunity, and uh, please download the app today. MedWorks at home your way every day. 
You got it, George. Barricat is the founder and CEO of MedWorks. You can find it in your favorite app store. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. You've probably attended the Sound of Music Festival in Burlington in the past. I know I have. It's been tremendous. It's a phenomenal festival that each and every year brings in tens of thousands of people. Actually, this past year, hundreds of thousands of people. An attendance record, more than 400,000 people huddled into Spencer Smith Park for that phenomenal event. But despite that, this is kind of funny to think about, but organizers say they still fell short of their revenue target. And now the city of Burlington is providing a bit of a financial boost. With more details on that, let's welcome in the mayor of Burlington, Marianne Mead Ward. Marianne, welcome to Good Morning Hamilton. How are you? I'm great. Good morning. So despite the attendance record, which again was phenomenal off the charts, the festival did not hit its financial goal. Where's the disconnect? How did this happen? Well, they do a live on the lake concert the weekend before Sound of Music. That is a major fundraiser for them. It's a ticketed event and the attendance didn't materialize for that event. We were just coming out of restrictions and lockdowns due to the pandemic and I think people feel uh, still felt a little uneasy being in large crowds of people so there was a significant loss for that event so it wasn't uh, not only was it not a fundraiser it uh, it it was a draw on cash so they are looking at not uh, doing that again this year and going back to the traditional ways that they've raised money and in the interim have asked the city for some cash flow Uh, assistance, which we did approve unanimously in September. With the unanimous votes, it sounds like it was a no-brainer to lend some assistance. Well, everyone recognizes how important Sound of Music is to the life of the community. And as I've said, when I go talk to high school students in uh, all around Burlington, they, they complain a little bit that Burlington is quiet and they call it Borington. Uh, except for the four days of Sound of Music, and that that would include my own kids. So, <laughs> you know, it's a, it's a great. Yeah, they they don't care that I'm the mayor, by the way. But um, you know, they they really enjoy this festival, and it's for all ages. It it has launched uh, some of the most uh, you know global acts. We've got Walk Off the Earth played there, Finger Eleven played there, Mariana's Trench. Uh, all before they were big acts. And so it is really a, a launching pad for a number of uh, incredible local talents here. And it's just a great time. So, you know, council recognized that. We want to make sure that we invest in arts and cultures and festivals. And so uh, it really was a no-brainer to extend them. Uh, first of all, advance the grant that we normally give them over the course of a year, we, we provide 100000 in funding every year, have done for quite a long time. So they're getting that up front, and then we advanced a $200,000 loan as well to help them uh, you know, pay, pay the last of their bills in 2022. And there will probably be a request for an increase to that grant in the 2023 budget, and, and we'll get to that discussion when the time comes. Uh, you know, aside from launching musical careers, and that is a great uh, part of this festival, it also brings, as I mentioned, hundreds of thousands of people to Burlington, which creates a massive economic impact. Are there any um, statistics on what kind of impact this has had, not only this year, but in past years? They did provide a very detailed report to Council on uh, on that economic accelerator, and it, it's in the multi-millions of dollars when people come and they go to the restaurants, they might stay over at a hotel. 
So it is a significant economic boost to the city of Burlington. We're chatting with Burlington Mayor Marianne Mead Ward here on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML as Burlington's Sound of Music Festival uh, shattered attendance records last year, but uh, didn't hit its revenue target. So the city is providing a bit of a financial boost to uh, make the festival uh, give it a, a head start to 2023, which I hear, according to the CEO of the festival, um, they're planning a Boulder event next year. Uh, any hints that what we might see? Well, I think we're going to see uh, lots of great acts, as we always do. And, I, you know, I know that uh, one of my favorite times in the calendar is when they do the, the big reveal and release of who is coming to town that you can see for free. So I'm looking forward to that. And I know that they're, uh, you know, they've got a strong team of staff and volunteers, hundreds of volunteers in the community. Uh, by the way, uh, my own kids have gotten volunteer hours for helping out at the festival. So it is uh, it is something that is enjoyed by people of all ages and is a great event. We've heard from uh, a number of mayors, and I just want to switch gears to the housing plan here in Ontario on Bill 23. A number of mayors pushing back, a number of councillors from different communities pushing back on how this is going to cost cities upwards of you know millions, if not billions of dollars in some regard. How is Bill 23 going to impact Burlington? Well, it's a giant hole in our budget. We collect development charges to pay for things like new community centers because when you have growth in your community, um, you know, new population coming in, they can't all fit in the same rinks and the same gyms. That That's just one example. You need to put more buses on the road. You have higher demand on your handy van. You have more need for parks. And we know that we're getting... Uh, close to 70,000 new residents in the next 20 years, they will need more community centers, community amenities. And so development charges help to pay for that. And I I think fundamentally the provincial government doesn't understand how development charges work and what they pay for. Some of the comments that we've heard is, well, if if you're doing infill, you've got the infrastructure you need. Uh, and by that, they mean uh, roads and sewers. Well, that's not all that a community needs. If if we have to build a new community centre, which we are having to do here in the city of Burlington, we just got the costing proposals for uh, our acquisition of Robert Bateman High School. We'll be discussing that next week. It's $72 million. So we we need that money. Otherwise, we're going to have to raise taxes or not deliver those services for the community, which negatively affects quality of life. So uh, we will report, record on the tax bill the provincial tax, the provincial housing tax, because, uh, you know, it, it will create a hole in our budgets. And there's no guarantee, and this is critically important, there is no guarantee that those savings will go to the purchaser. We have no guarantee that that purchaser will be a new home buyer. It could be an investor that f- turns around and flips it, and then the market takes over and determines the price of that and and any savings completely evaporate. So this is not well thought through. There is no guarantee that this will get more housing built uh, or that the savings will be realized by people who need homes. So it is it, it, it really needs to go back to the drawing board. And that's what we've said to the province is push pause, consult with us, let us let us help you understand how our financing works here uh, at the city of Burlington and other municipalities and let's get it right. We're, we're happy to uh, be a partner and build affordable housing, but this isn't the way to do it. Madam Mayor, we'll have to leave it there. Thanks for the time today and enjoy your day. 
Thank you. Great to talk with you always. That is Marianne Mead Ward, the mayor of Burlington. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. A dramatic arts class at St. Mary's Secondary School here in Hamilton is trying to raise money for CHML's Christmas Tree of Hope by putting on a Christmas play. Kyle Hall and Tavian Augustus are students at St. Mary's High School and join us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Kyle, Tavian, good morning. How are you? Good morning. I'm good. How are you? Fantastic. Kyle, let's start with you. Tell us about what you and your classmates are doing in Miss Newbury's dramatic arts class. So basically, we decided to do like a fundraiser for Christmas Tree of Hope. And so uh, it's been running for the last week or so, I believe. And I believe there's about three more days for the fundraiser. And basically, we're doing like a bake sale. We're selling ornaments um, and just trying to raise money for the charity. Tavian, how did the Christmas Tree of Hope come to your mind? Uh, well, I was just kind of looking through the school board's list of like approved charities because we have one of those. And one of them really stood out and it was Christmas Tree of Hope particularly because it said Christmas tree in its name. And I was like, oh, well, Charlie Brown, the whole focus of the play and the movie is around this Christmas tree. So I decided to do a little digging. And when I really got down to it, I was like, that's a good charity. There's always those ones that kind of stand out. They're the ones that do something that other charities don't. So not only does Christmas Tree of Hope like help people during the holiday season, they also they run events, they run concerts. And I thought that it was just a really good idea and that it really kind of fit the vibe of the play. Well, I can assure you that everyone on the CHML Christmas Tree of Hope and Children's Fund Board of Directors are really thankful that you've chosen our charity among so many other great ones to donate to. Uh, Kyle, back to you. What kind of play are you guys putting on? So this year for our school play, we're doing Merry Christmas, Charlie Brown. Um, which I'm for anyone who isn't familiar, it's uh, based on like a classic animated movie from the around, I think, the 1950s. Um, so it was an interesting one to kind of adapt to the modern day and change a little bit. I can imagine. Tavian, how can people donate? So for our school, we're just allowing people to donate through School Cash Online, which is how most of the fundraisers go on. I believe that on the website, it said that you could donate if you're not like with our school that you can donate through like CanadaHelps.org through PayPal, or you could visit one of the locations. That's what I was able to find out. Or you could, if you're in our school, our school board, you could donate through School Cash Online. Awesome. Kyle, who's playing Charlie Brown and how are the rehearsals going? That, so that would be me. <laughs> um, and for the rehearsals, they've been going pretty well. Everyone's pretty well memorized at this point, which is a... Uh, Pretty good, considering we're about two weeks out from performances. So. Wow, that is a plus. Well, Kyle, Tavian, thanks for joining us. Good luck with the plan. Again, thank you for fundraising for the CHML Christmas Tree of Hope. I think the goal is about $2,000. Let's hope we can meet or surpass that. Thanks for the time and good luck. Thank, Thank you. you very much. Have a great day. You too. That's Kyle Hall and Tavian Augustus, two students at St. Mary's Secondary School, part of the Dramatic Arts class that's putting on the classic tale of a Charlie Brown Christmas and raising money for CHML's Christmas Tree of Hope campaign. There's going to be morning shows for feeder schools, evening performances are being set up for the community. Should be a lot of fun. You can go online to mary.hwcdsb.ca to find out more information. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Are you a cat owner? Are you a dog owner? Do you, do you have pets at home? Many people do. Many people have both. Many people have many pets. I have four in my household, which is... 
Uh, you know, on some days, four too much, <laughs> or at least a couple too much. But uh, they offer so much uh, love and reassurance and uh, great stress relief, and they're fun to have around, as long as they're getting along. But apparently, there are many, many cats that are ending up in local animal shelters. And uh, many officials at these shelters are scratching their head wondering, what is going on? Kevin Struband is the executive director of the Lincoln County Humane Society and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Kevin, good morning. How are you? Good morning, Rick. I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. Uh, The Lincoln County Humane Society, one of a number of local animal shelters who are raising their hands in the air saying, what's happening with these cats and kittens this month? What has happened? Give us a sense of what you're seeing. Well, you know, November is usually a slow time for us. It slows down through the winter when people go inside, animals go inside, and we just don't get a lot of calls. But this November, it's almost December. It's been unbelievable. Our shelter is full. We're trying to adopt out all these cats. More are coming in. You know, we've talked and we've speculated as to what this might be. I don't really think it's COVID per se, as, you know, people have adopted cats and they've decided to relinquish them because they're going back to work. But it could be kind of indirectly related where people have cared for these animals outside while they were off. Now the weather's getting colder and they decided, wow, I shouldn't leave this poor animal outside. And they bring them to us. So that might be why, but regardless, we have a lot for adoption. So how many cats do you have right now? Over a hundred. Wow. And what's the normal level that you would see during, uh, I don't know, a typical month? As we get to November, December, it's going to drop to 20, 30, maybe even 40 cats. But it gets, you know, very sparse in here and not now. (laughs) So what is the situation like now? I mean, you only have so many cages, I would imagine. Well, we do have enough cages, and they're all full, and we have enough staff, and they're cleaning them. They're all doing a great job. But, you know, we don't want these cats to sit in these cages. We want them to sit in your living room. Yeah, there is a a psychological component to cats being together for a long period of time. You want to get these cats out the door in a hurry. That's right. You know, and, and there are a lot of kittens, so people can come and adopt the kittens, Uh, maybe even adopt two. It's always nice for the kittens to play together when nobody's around, you know, you're at work for the day or whatever. It's, it's a great thing to have more than one, but you know, we're not saying you have to just come and get at least one. (laughs) Kevin Struban is the executive director of the Lincoln County Humane Society and there's stuff full of cats and kittens for you to adopt. Is there, is there an overpopulation problem? Can we, can we maybe guesstimate on that being at least a part of this? You know, it's, it seems to be really cyclical, and I can't really explain why, but last year, the year before, we had very few, and we would actually take cats from the Windsor Humane Society because they seem to be inundated all the time. Prior to that, we had enough, plenty, but this year it's just skyrocketed, and you know it, it's certainly going to change the stats going forward, and then we'll see what happens next year, but it's, it's very unusual. What is the adoption process like? Because you don't just want to hand over these cats and kittens to anyone. They have to meet some criteria, right? That's right. So if people go to our website, lchs.ca, and they look at adoptions, they can go through the process, they can fill out a profile online, select an animal they like, and then our staff will get in touch with them and guide them through the process. And our cats are $99, our kittens are 150 and they come spayed or neutered. So that you're saving money right there. Basically, you're getting all of these things at a reduced rate, and you're getting the cat for free. What makes a a good cat owner? 
someone who has done their research. They know what's involved. You know, cats are are a little more hands-off than a dog, let's say, but they still need that proper food, water, shelter, and care. And they have to be able to provide that. Let's say there's an emergency, you know, you have a vet set up so that you can take them in. So there are a number of things that people need to educate themselves about before getting an animal, especially if they're new to animal adoptions. Kevin Struband is our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Kevin is the executive director of the Lincoln County Humane Society and they've ended up with more than 100 cats and kittens at this time of the year, well above uh, the normal number that they uh, had realized in the past. If you want to make a uh, visit to the Humane Society, go online to lchs.ca and scope out the adoption process and uh, maybe get a cat or two. Do you, you sometimes hand out more than one cat to uh, an individual? Yes, and you know, luckily lately, we've seen people take two kittens, for example. And like I said earlier, that's really nice for the cat, or when it becomes a cat, for them to hang out with somebody during the day, another cat. You know, it's, it's always great to have the two because they can get a little lonely, they can get a little mischievous, not that kittens won't anyway, but they, you know what, if you're thinking of adopting, think of two. You don't necessarily have to do it, but it might be good for the cat. What's it like caring for a hundred plus cats? You know, it's it's sometimes it's the same every day, right? And and I I look at what my staff do, and I just think, wow, what a great job they do to do that day in day out. And you know, you might say, yeah, I'm just cleaning up poop or cleaning up a cage, but it's more than that. Like you're making this place a nice place to be while they transition into their forever homes. And are many of them that you're getting in in good shape uh, health-wise? Yes, they are. And, you know, we don't know about if there are other things underlying, so we always encourage people to go to their vet and have that conversation, see if there are additional tests. But for the most part, we're very successful with the health of the animals and with our adoptions. That's good to hear. You can go online to get more details. Make an adoption today at lchs.ca. Kevin, appreciate the time today. Good luck with us. Thank you so much, Rick. Kevin Struband is the executive director of the Lincoln County Humane Society. They got a lot of cats, a lot of cats up for grabs. Get yours today. Starting this Friday, join Good Morning Hamilton for our Christmas Music Madness Contest. Each morning at 7.10, we are going to pit 16 iconic Christmas songs against one another. And each day, you will vote for your favorite. And each winner along the way will move on to the next round until we ultimately crown your all-time favorite Christmas tune. More details, including the Christmas Music Madness bracket online at 900CHML.com. Coming up... The Burlington Sound of Music planning some big changes in 2023. Find out what is in store for next year here on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Our province will not enforce unconstitutional or harmful Ottawa policies or laws in Alberta. Albertans come first, always. It is intended to be used selectively thoughtfully and towards the goal of fighting federal initiatives which would harm our province, our people and our prosperity. And as Alberta Premier Daniel Smith announcing details of the province's proposed legislation to push back against Ottawa. In short, the Alberta Sovereignty Within a United Canada Act has been introduced in the provincial legislature and it aims to allow Alberta to stand up to federal government overreach, as it says, and interference in areas of provincial jurisdiction. 
So what does this mean for Albertans, and what could this potentially mean for other provinces, including us here in Ontario? Tim Powers is the chairman of Summa Strategies and managing director of Abacus Data and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Tim, good morning. How are you? I am uh, good, Rick. How are you? I'm good. So uh, this is interesting. <laughs> well, that's, that's understating the interest, <laughs> uh, understating it with interesting. I mean, add to the story, of course, too, when this came in yesterday, uh, when the bill was first introduced in the, uh, the um, Alberta legislature, the former premier, Jason Kenney, resigned uh, cited this as the reason why, that it was... Uh, you know, wrong-headed, my word here, wrong-headed and, uh, and overreach and, and dangerous, and we had to find a way to work within institutions. Um, but what is this all about, Rick? This is about Danielle Smith trying to provoke a fight with the federal government with a May election looming, one which, if it were held right now, she would not win. So that's the politics. The policy of it, it's hard to tell what could happen here. Um, it could be very um, detrimental to the Canadian Federation, particularly if other provinces pick this up and decide, you know what, we don't like that law, so we're not going to follow it. We're a society that's based on the rules of law, and we sort out the things we don't like in election campaigns. Well, the way I thought of it, the first thing that came to mind would be mask mandates. You know, the federal government says, all right, we're, we're now all wearing masks again. And Alberta says, you know what? We don't want to do that. This is a government overreach. This is interference. We're going to do our own thing. Except it's a great example. I mean, the, it was the Alberta government itself that used extraordinary powers to bring in mask mandates because only the provinces could do that um, to their particular citizens. So, you know, uh, the government has already exercised extraordinary powers to enforce laws. I think that's the thing that is concerning in reading some of the, the coverage of it today, that cabinet could effectively decide, you know what, we're, we're going to decide what to do here, and we don't go through the normal legislative process of bringing this to the legislature and debating all of that. And, and and where is the application going to begin and end? I mean, I, I think eventually, as many constitutional scholars have argued, and I don't think you're one, Rick, I sure as hell aren't one. <laughs> I, I'm not one, aren't one. Look, I'm not even an English major. I didn't speak proper English this morning. Nonetheless, I think if this gets challenged, which it will, it will be found to be an overreach. But for now, we uh, we all have to work through it. Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML, Tim Powers, chairman of Summa Strategies and the managing director of Abacus Data. We're talking about this new legislation in Alberta, which uh, apparently allows the province to push back against Ottawa uh, in areas of what they deem to be provincial jurisdiction. Does this potentially pry open even the slightest the country's constitution? Oh God, Rick! Now I know we don't want to go there. A national migraine, do you? You remember <laughs> the the late ni- the early nineties? You know, all, all the joy of those televised constitutional conferences, fighting over who was distinct and not. As a Newfoundlander, I think I'm still scarred by the fact that uh, that we were leading the charge on that, and I didn't support that. Anyway, it, it could, but I look. Uh, it's a distraction, right? Like there are real issues facing people right now. Healthcare. Uh, uh, poverty, affordability. So Smith knows this is good, usually is good fodder in Alberta, you know, a couple of whacks at Ottawa, but Daniel Smith also needs Ottawa. All of the premiers need Ottawa, particularly on the health care front, as you well know. 
So it's a bargaining tool. Um, as I say, I do think they're trying to provoke the prime minister because the, the federal government can do something, which is a move forward to disallow a law uh, because they have, uh, I, I don't know the proper legal procedure for which it would happen, but they have the ability to disallow a provincial law. Now, can you imagine if they did that? They'd be sending Daniel Smith back probably with a majority in Alberta. But uh, the government, the federal government may decide at some point, once the immediate politics is passed, to exercise that power of disallowance. Tim, great catching up. I appreciate the insight this morning. Have a great day. You too, Rick. Bye. That is Tim Powers, Managing Director of Abacus Data, Chairman of SUMA Strategies. Should note as well that this piece of legislation is being brought in by a premier who wasn't elected in election. She won a leadership race. So is it really what Albertans want? Maybe on the surface. Yeah, hey, let's push back against Ottawa. But when you dive into the weeds and some of the things that they may do in the future, it's going to be very interesting to see. Thanks for listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday mornings from 530 to 9 on 900 CHML and online at 900CHML.com. The Good Morning Hamilton podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free, so you never miss an episode. And make sure you rate and review.